0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello and welcome to the show today. I'm really glad you guys could tune in. And if you were really lucky and on Instagram just a a minute or so ago, I actually did an Instagram live to promote my guest. And (laughs) my Instagram lives have a lot to be desired, okay? So go easy on me. But anyway, I'm just very excited about my guest, so I wanted to to get the word out. So when I got a hold of the book that we're gonna be talking about today, Leap to Wholeness, by my guest, Sky Nelson Isaacs, I flipped it over and I read the I read the back and it says, Sky Nelson Isaacs explores the quantum mechanics of a holographic multiverse and explains what that means. And I said, Wow, this is gonna be so cool because I would really like to know what that means. I've been really fascinated Mm -hmm. with quantum mechanics and, and wanting to know what it's all about. And I know kind of on the most basic level that it's the study of the invisible world of how things work. And we're talking way beyond just atoms and molecules, even smaller than that. And I also know that in quantum mechanics experiments, that the act of observing things affects the outcome. Well, other than that, I don't know a whole lot, and I'm hoping that Sky today can shed some light on this very mysterious world and explain how it applies to our very real world and our real world lives today. And Sky Nelson Isaacs is a theoretical physicist. He's a speaker and author and a musician. And he's a very good one. His music is really great. I went and checked out some of it at skynelson.com. It's really good. So I hope you guys go over there and, and maybe hear what he's doing. And he's also the author of two books, Living in Flow, and his new one that we're going to be talking about today, Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. And I want to welcome Sky to the show. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Diane. It's so great to be here. I really appreciate your show.
0: Well, it's really awesome to talk with you. So, just like right off the bat, I just want to get this off my chest: is that I am a little intimidated to even be talking with you because one <laughs> of my one of my fantasies—you'll laugh at this—is to be able to walk into an auditorium in a college, like you see in the movies, you know, like Goodwill Hunting, and just be able to write some complicated math equation on a giant blackboard and to be able to explain the meaning of the universe to people string theory and all of this stuff and the reality of the situation is that i'm someone who still counts on their fingers when they're adding or subtracting things you know so my math skills are not that great and so i've always been in awe of people that can understand that world and and i'm hoping that you can break down some of that world a little bit to me. And I've really been enjoying your book. I just want to tell you that. I'm I'm almost all the way through with it actually. So, I just wanted to ask you first off, what is your hope with the book and and getting it out there?
1: Well, thank you for reading it. And uh, I'm really grateful when people take the time to read what I've written and uh, I I try and read as much as I can of other people's work, but I don't I I can't, I can't keep up. So, I really appreciate that you've taken the time to do that. And my hope is that the, the way that I have thought about and, and formulated the the worldview, which is based on some of the science that I've done myself and the other people have done, of um, you know that it can really transform the way we think about our lives and about the cosmos. I think having a sense of awe about the universe we live in is really important, a sense of wonder about it. And we forget that a lot of times when we're going through our day-to-day lives. And I have the blessing of studying a science that I find really awe-inspiring. When I learn something new or, or remove a misconception that I have about the cosmos, about space and time, things that I take for granted, I experience a sense of deep connection and wonder that I think is really, really valuable. So I hope that people will get a sense of that from reading the book, as well as a sense of personal insight as to their own uh, ways that they filter information, that they take information in, and they don't actually see what the world is really like, but they see their own perception of the world. And that influences how they choose to respond. And then it sets up a whole cause and re- cause and uh, reaction around how we interact with the world and what types of synchronistic experiences we have that either support us or maybe get in the way and detract from what we're trying to accomplish.
0: Well, I love that whole concept of the book and how you, you weave that through all of the chapters, and so so first of all, for people like me, just to wrap our little pea brains around it, when you talk about a holographic world, because when I'm looking around right now at my cramped and messy office, you know, it's it's all in in 3D and it seems to be real and, and my reality, but then if you look at a at a hologram, that can also be 3D and may seem real and here was here's an example so before the interview when actually even before I started reading the book and I'm like wow what's a holographic universe that's pretty cool and so I'm thinking okay what's a hologram you know what does it really look like so I went on YouTube and I looked at the hologram of Tupac Shakur doing that uh, Coachella appearance did you ever see right.
1: that i right. okay. uh, not I'm not sure <laughs> so, I did but I've heard about it it's famous
0: well, it's, it's amazing, yeah. I mean, just the fact that so, – so I started think of it, thinking of it in that context. So the people at the concert, obviously we know Tupac Shakur is dead, right? But you're looking at the hologram of him, you know, singing the song with Snoop Dogg, and if you didn't know he's dead, you would you would think that he's real because it looks so real. And I thought, wow, that's that's just mind-blowing, um, you know, to think yeah, of it is. in terms of – of our universe, you know, so I mean, how how would you explain that as when you talk about a holographic world? Is it is it kind of like that?
1: Well, this is a really new um, formulation. Uh, this is based on work that I've done recently, which has been published, uh, but is not necessarily well established. These are ideas that people have been batting around for a long time, and and my job at my what I attempt to do is. Uh, continue that work and, and continue to build a foundation for that perspective. And what that perspective is, can really think about um, object permanence that babies have, when babies or that babies don't have. When babies come into the world, they don't think about what's not in front of them. So object permanence is something we gain as we get older, because we if someone takes away our toy, we still know the toy exists. But when a baby has their toy taken away, they forget about it pretty quickly it's like it doesn't exist anymore. So that's actually a good model or, or metaphor for how I think that the physical world um, composes itself, that what you are experiencing right now, your messy office, my uh, space around me, those are our physical realities that we are experiencing. And when we interact with the world, that's what we experience, we, we, we see the object. But when it's not with us, we have to think like the baby does is it still there in some definite way? And what I think quantum mechanics tells us, and this is still slightly controversial or maybe largely controversial. What I think quantum mechanics tells us is that when an object is not in front of us, it's not in a definite state. And that means it's it's evolving into many different possibilities. And that's what quantum mechanics tells us about electrons and subatomic particles. When we're not observing them, they evolve into many possibilities. And as our, when we observe them, they take one of those possibilities that we actually measure. And I take that same idea and I argue that it applies to everything that you interact with. And so thinking about the world that you experience as your direct experience and everything outside of your direct experience as flexible history in that sense is flexible based on what you've actually interacted with and who you've correlated yourself with in your past interactions.
0: Right. And you talk about that as we get more into the book, that it's all the world filtering through our past experiences and what we choose to react or interpret from that, from our past experiences, what we're looking at. We kind of we filter that information, which I thought was really cool. I mean, the way you explain it is um, is really is really amazing. And also you make it easy for for P brains like me to really understand. Um, well, I try. I try about, to reach
1: <laughs> as many different types of people as I can, and um, most people don't study physics, like most people. So, right. um, I, I want to be able to communicate as much as with this amazing information and these ideas, which uh, kind of expand the way we think about things. And what this model leaves open is that when you, when you think about what you're about to experience, it it increases the realm of possibilities. Like if you're expecting to go into a cafe and get a cup of coffee. But you don't think about all the things that could happen in there, like who you might run into or who might hand you a business card, somebody you don't know that hands you a business card that turns into a new client. These are all the things that you can't predict, but that are actually flexible based on um, you know, the past, their past as well and how everything comes together, funnels together to a given synchronistic connection.
0: Right, and the way you explain it in the book is, is so fascinating. And I, I really liked, and I wanted to talk about that, about synchronicities, because I love to be aware of synchronicities, and I think maybe sometimes I personally apply more meaning to them than I should, but I love some of the examples that you shared in the book and what you just said, that those synchronicities, depending on our filters and then our choices after that, can can determine things in a variety of ways. Right. And so I wanted to share, I wanted to share a synchronicity with you that I experienced and then maybe we could see, see what really happened. Maybe it wasn't my psychic ability, but it was just a (laughs) synchronicity. (laughs) I don't know. I like one of the, one of the things that I really was excited to talk with you about, because I do think that this is like magic, you know, it's, it's like real magic that exists the, the quantum mechanics world, you know, the fact that you can observe something and then it, beca- it becomes something else or it or it reacts in a different way.
1: You know, I just yeah, think that's I like really to cool. say that the cosmos so, is responsive.
0: Yes, like like it's a we live in a participatory universe, right? As we participate yeah. in it, it, it responds. And that's yeah. that's kind of uh, some of what you were saying in the book, too. So here's my synchronicity. And I liked some of the the ones that you shared in the book as well. So I was on a plane coming back uh, to Florida from Atlanta. I'm, I'm from Florida, so I was coming back there at the time. And I had a thought very clearly in my mind that a guy that I knew John Parker is going to be on this flight. And he wasn't even really a friend that I had a connection with. It was a guy that I knew that I had worked with. So I'm sitting there like, you know, that vegetative state you're in when you're on an airplane. <laughs> yeah. And I had my eyes closed. And I had that thought, John Parker's on this flight. And as I opened my eyes, he was walking down the aisle. Now, that's mm, wow. just kind of a, a – co- it's a co- – but I had a weird feeling when that happened. But when I thought about it later as I dissected, you know, I'm thinking about I go, well – he, I was working at a radio station and he was a record rep that often took that route, you know, from mm-hmm. Fort Lauderdale to Atlanta. So it mm-hmm. really so if I broke that down and took took away those variables, it really wasn't that much of a coincidence. Right. That he was on that flight. But the fact that I had that thought at that very moment. That was weird.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so anyway, I think it's really valuable I just wanted to-, to share that to you. I think it's really valuable to not look at, you know, the likelihood or the unlikelihood of an event and say, well, that's not really a synchronicity because it was, you know, it was likely to happen. He was, he takes that flight regularly. Um, what's really amazing is that these types of experiences happen so frequently. And when you right. have slightly improbable experiences that happen consistently, and you can count on them. You can know that you're gonna have some cool experience or that if you take a risk and go out on a limb on a job that you're gonna have circumstances work out in your favor you know, to help you along the way. That builds a sense of trust in the process, uh, the, the responsiveness of the cosmos. Like when I do something, I'm gonna figure it out along the way and I'm gonna get the opportunities I need. So I think that's really the the approach that I take. And I like your example, uh, I wonder if you were, you know, you thought about him because he takes that route and, you know, he came to your mind, not necessarily because you're receiving some transmission from outside of yourself. Like, I, I don't think about things coming from outside and, you know, us receiving them. I, 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 I'm i wondering about, you know, how there's this uh, alignment between you thinking about him because he's someone you would think about in this situation. But that's pretty amazing that then he would actually be there at that moment. And that's where the t- synchronicity comes in. You know, the word synchronicity means falling together in time. This is Carl Jung's word for these moments where things fall together in time. If he had gotten on a, on a flight half an hour later, or if he had walked down the aisle 10 minutes earlier, you might not have seen him. So it's really about timing and how the the cosmos in some way in this this multiverse is like a branching tree of all these possibilities. How do they fall into place or align in just such a way as to time things so well for us? That's really the question I'm seeking to answer.
0: Right. And how amazing if you do find that answer, how we could apply that to our lives every day to either anticipate something happening or avoid something happening.
1: Yeah. In a and positive so or I, negative. I, so the main, the main idea for, that relates to that is called what I call retroactive event determination. Retroactive means looking at the past and maybe looking at something that already happened. And event term, determination really is pointing to looking at the past and, and determining what the past was. We think about the past as already having happened. But really all we know is the past that we've observed. So we've read history books that's that's fixed. I'm not debating that history. I'm saying all the things we haven't observed. Like where is it uh, was his name John? Yes. Where, where is John right now? You don't know that. You might have talked to him, you know, a month ago. But you don't know anything since then. And so his history is what I would say is is it's flexible. It's not observed by you and it could be anything. So you're retroactively determining it uh after you know, through that observation, and so that whole chain of events falls together at that moment, and then his his past and your past fall into place in just such a way to make it possible for you to meet.
0: Isn't that crazy? Now, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the about filters and and what we mean by that. And you had a great explanation of of that concept in in speaking about a rainbow, and I never thought of it that way, where the light of a rainbow is is all everything is white until it's filtered the rain filters the light and then I'm seeing the red because everything else all the other colors are filtered out and I thought that was really a a great way of explaining that and in in terms of light but when you're talking about filters you know you're talking about we're filtering things that have happened to us in the past and our reactions to it and our experiences of it that cause us to make a decision about something
1: yeah, so a and rainbow that's something is...
0: something we do all the time, right? Every day.
1: Yeah, a, a rainbow is a great example of that because wh- the reason you see red is because you don't see blue and green. It's actually what you right. don't see that's amazing because the whole sky is filled with white light and that white light is composed of all these colors. And when you remove colors, you get red left over. So think about the same thing with, with who we are as individuals. We are whole beings with the whole realm of... Um, you have emotions that we can experience, grief and anger and joy and sadness and elated, elatedness and all these things are part of who we are. And we filter that through the, the cognitive choices we make, the way we think about the world, our beliefs, our preferences, our prejudices. These are the things that we think or we feel which limit what we can express. They, not only do they limit what we can express and you know how we show up in the world, they also limit what we can hear. Like if we are not able to hear a compliment because we have a negative filter in ourselves that I'm not you know, good enough for a compliment, then when someone gives us a compliment, we might hear it as like, oh, well, this person is just being nice to me. and They don't really mean it or look for all the reasons why it doesn't actually apply. So our filters have a really big influence on not only what we express to the world, but also what we even take in and what information we can hear that affects us.
0: Right. That whole concept, as I was thinking about it, uh, reading through the book, it just seems so important for people to understand in that if if you understand the filters that we're dealing with, we can empower ourselves to not be victims, that yeah. it's not things that are happening to us, that we have the power to choose our experiences.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Right? So and we can you come know, out so of that victimhood. When somebody gives us feedback, for instance – like, what's the whole message? We often don't see the whole message. We see the part of the message that we filter. We see the red light only. But actually, in that in that feedback we get, there might be more to it. So if someone says, you know, I, I think you need to do a better job communicating with your clients, then I might hear that as this this critique about me and my communication, which is really hurting me. But there's also this other thing that was said, which is, I trust all the other things that you're doing. And I really value you as an employee or as a colleague, and that's why I'm giving you this feedback. That's part of the whole message. That's like the white light. But all we see is that red light that gets, you know, that's left over when we filter everything else out.
0: Right. It's so interesting. So, I mean, based on that, what we're talking about, would you say that this cliche is true, perception is reality?
1: i would say perception becomes reality it's what we experience and then we go ahead and we act upon it and that action through through the process i developed more in my previous book uh, brings about synchronicity it sets the stage for what we expect and what we expect to experience somehow comes around to becoming more likely to to be experienced and then we get synchronicities in our lives which which lead us there so it could be a breakup of a relationship, or it could be a, a client falling through. It could be any kind of, any number of things, positive or negative, that show up in our lives that reinforce what we believe and how we interpret our lives to be.
0: Well, I have to read your other book now. <laughs> now that you've now that you've got me thinking, so I'm definitely going to to check that one out as well. Uh, just so much. Uh, amazing, so many amazing ideas that you brought up in the book. Just my my mind was like going off, you know, a bunch of light bulbs. Um,
1: well, I so, have a story I can uh, tell cool. if you'd like.
0: Oh, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Well, so as a person, a friend of mine uh, who wrote a great book uh, called The Empath's Journey, um, wrote about how she moved from India to the U.S. And she was doing a job in India where she was um, given a sudden an opportunity to lead her team. And she'd never done this before, lead a project. And her filter, when she took on this project, her own filter was people-pleasing. So she was, you know, listening to what the client wanted and sort of reacting to it and, and giving it to them and not really managing the scope of the project. And she realizes that now, but she didn't know it then. This was her filter. And ultimately, the project really didn't go well. The client wasn't happy. It didn't succeed. And she felt really bad about it. But she realized that she didn't have... Any of the things that she was afraid would happen didn't happen. She didn't get reprimanded. She didn't lose her job. She Life went on and she grew from the experience. And it gave her the confidence to fail that actually led to her being able to pick up her roots and travel to the U.S. and, and set up a life here that she wanted. So these experiences which show up in her life can be seen as um, purposefully or or usefully given to us to help us grow and, and get to the next stage that we want to get to, even if they feel like uh, something's falling apart in the moment.
0: Right. And I love how you say in the book that failure can be a gateway to a new level of learning, like like you just shared with your friend. And I just thought, you know, it's so funny how we are so afraid of failure, you know, that we're afraid of the perceived weakness and you know shame or whatever other feelings that come out of that but there are really so many ways to refilter like you just like you just explained in that in that example those failures that we all experience in our lives and reframe that to where it's it's not something to be ashamed of right
1: yes and her name is Ritu Karshal for that book if you want to look it up um yeah it, it gives us a, a chance to constantly be looking at how we're framing things and how that's influencing our life quality and what it, what synchronicities are then showing up and looking for opportunities that we might not expect.
0: Right, and how, you know, a perceived failure can really open the door to something else. You know, maybe you're beating your head against the wall trying to make this project work or trying to force this job situation when you really should end that and move on to something else so that's so valuable and and such an important lesson i think for all of us because i think so many people are in that type a personality and and they have to you know they have to succeed they have to be driven to Mm -hmm. not to never fail you know failure is not an option or
1: well i i opened (laughs) the book with a story about a, a big time when i when i really failed and ended up um back, moving back at home and dealing with sort of putting my life back together. And I had this dream where I was with my best friend from growing up, and I was banging my head against the wall of my bedroom. And in that moment, it dawned on me that the whole previous six months of struggle was a result of not having self-compassion. And I realized and I learned in in my body what it felt like to switch over to self-compassion. And self-compassion, I talk about as this unreasonably effective tool for changing our lives, not because it fixes our problems, but because it gives us the space within which to move to fix our own problems.
0: Yes, and you call it a practice, which I think is is very accurate, because we are definitely our worst critics, and often we're the last to be compassionate, to offer our own compassion to ourselves. Yeah. And and we just suffer because of it. And, and I'm a, a big Pema Chodron fan as well. Oh yeah. It's just, she's amazing. Um, you know, some and, of the, the quotes that you share in the book and I especially loved, you know, nothing ever goes away until it has taught us what we need to know and how the more we beat ourselves up and have, no self-compassion, we're we're always going to be in that loop, right? We're going to keep experiencing those same things in different ways, but ultimately the same lesson.
1: Yeah, and I think you can learn to see that as synchronicity. It's not positive, but it's there to help you grow and learn and heal.
0: Right, right. That's that's a great way to think about it. And I, I hope people will pick up some Pema Chodron if they haven't read any of her work. Um, you know, she's she's just amazing. And I love that concept, you know, You you just keep learning those those same lessons and they keep coming back. And the only way to heal is to really change our response to those situations, you know, and hopefully we've gotten new information as a result of learning whatever we've gone through. And then, you know, we can continue to grow. So many great lessons, you know, that you that you share in the book. I I, I'm really I'm really loving it. I'm almost finished. (laughs) Almost finished. (laughs) Thank you so much. I've, I've read most of it but now i want to read the rest of it and finish it so we'll be back i'm talking with sky nelson isaacs about his book leap to wholeness and find out how the world is really programmed to help us so i'm diane ray we'll be right back in just a second on unity Online radio.org
1: We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Sky Nelson Isaacs, and we're talking about his new book, Leap to Wholeness. How the world is programmed to help us grow, heal, and adapt. And you can join Sky online if you want to find out more about him. Go to leaptowholenessbook.com. And you can also find out what he's doing with the Synchronicity Institute some really cool stuff with live workshops and also a video course. And there's a YouTube series as well. So if any of this is striking your fancy, if you're thinking about some of the magical implications of uh, the quantum universe and all of this other cool stuff, definitely check it out, leaptowholenessbook.com. So Skye, I wanted to talk a little bit too about time, you know, and the, the concept of time. And I love this quote from Shakespeare. It's always been one of my favorite favorites, and not only because it showed up in a Rush song, that's an afterthought, <laughs> but all the world's a stage, all the men and women merely players, we have our exits and our entrances and one man in his time plays many parts. All the world's a stage. And I always thought in my mind, like your life is kind of in a a movie, right? And that you -hmm. you enter and you exit at certain times and different players come in and out of the movie. But yet the movie probably goes on even after you, you leave the story, right? And then you say in the book that Time is kind of like that time is a film strip. I mean, is there any correlation between that, you know, between yeah. like that quote?
1: Well, I think what what is central to this idea in the physics is this idea of relationality. Relationality is a statement that the world takes its form relative in the relationships relative to you. And so there is a there is a sense in which the this, the play does not continue after you exit. Is the play is actually defined from your perspective. And that doesn't mean that's the whole reality, because other people had their perspectives. But it means that there's no objective view. There's no way to look at the whole thing and say, hey, here's what's really going on. All we can ever know is from the point of view of the players. And this plays out in, in the, the work that I do is really around time, trying to understand time. Time in physics is actually not fully understood not fully developed because of the fact that it's so personal to us it's something we experience and we live in and we have a very personal account of so it's hard to describe it objectively and my 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 work is trying to show that that not only do um we talked about wholeness earlier of people you know and of, of white light versus the rainbow well in a similar way um, light as it travels doesn't actually traverse any space or time in a sense. Uh, space and time shrink all the way down to zero for things that travel at the speed of light. And so light itself doesn't have any real definition of space and time. This is something that a physicist named Gilbert Lewis uh, called virtual contact. So we're actually in virtual contact with the sun right now because light is shining on us from the sun. And that, so that light really breaks down our notion of space and time altogether. And um, when you see life, things that way, you start to ask, well, the path of light traveling from the sun to the earth, it must be seen as a whole. It can't be broken up into steps. And that really changes the way we frame uh, physics and time, looking at time not just as a ticking clock or like a movie that's playing on your screen, but as a film strip that you're traveling along from point A to point B with many different film strips, even all all these different possibilities. And that tree, that many branching uh, film strips that form a tree is what what I would call the multiverse, the holographic multiverse.
0: Right. All those different possible choices that could have happened have had you chosen door B instead of A. It it could have been that reality. I I like that... um, that visual that you, you put in the book of that tree. So what about this? Like talking about time, you know, this got me thinking that, so is time really a human construct, right? With seconds and and ticking time hours, you know, Um, would you say that if there was no ticking seconds, then, okay, how about this? If there's no clock and I continued to believe that I was, 16 years old. As the years go by, I would physically age, but would I still believe that I was si- I was 16?
1: That's an interesting question. I've never thought about that one before. Um, you know, I love the title of your show, "Be Present," because that's what exists: is the present moment, where there there's no clocks. We, when we put a clock in it, we see it tick. What the physics really seems to tell us is that the only thing that really exists are durations, time intervals. So the time between the ticks, or the time between when you look at the clock once and then you look at the clock again. If you've ever looked at the clock a second time and been like, oh my God, it's already been an hour. Like, it feels like it's been a couple of minutes and it's been an hour because you were in flow and having a great time. Well, that's an, that's, those are two measurements you made of the clock. And what what, what I'm explaining in, with time here and, and the example of light traveling from the sun to the earth is that it's only the end points that matter the beginning and the end, and we need to think about our lives in terms of our observations of the world. So in some sense, there is no ticking clock, but there is a time that really does uh, change when we interact with the world, and every instance of us relating to the world is a new instance in time.
0: Right, and that's really all we have control over is that one that one split second instance that we're in right now. I don't know if you ever heard of this famous experiment that was done with Alzheimer's patients where they took people and immersed them in an earlier world and time in their life where they just showed movies from the fifties and played music from the fifties. And the research showed that people actually, they kind of responded to that and, and went back to that time and acting how they did at that time in their lives. So that that's what I was trying to kind of equate it to, you know, if there was yeah. no time and I just thought I'm 16 forever, I would believe that even though outwardly I wasn't.
1: That's fascinating. And it, it ties us back to filters because when we have – when our filters interpret what's familiar to us, we – feel more comfortable so if you're if that's what you remember because that part of your memory is still strong at that time period and then you're immersed in those same images they're going to match your filter you're going to be able to make sense of it and you're going to be i would think responding via very genuine but but also sort of pre-programmed responses what, whatever you felt at that time is what you're going to feel again and so it, it right. ties us back to that idea of filters that we can only see what's familiar to us what makes sense to us
0: that's interesting right i mean i i don't know if i would want to continually be 16 like there were some benefits (laughs) but you know there's (laughs) benefits to being (laughs) being the age the age that i am right now so also thinking about filters and the implication of interconnectedness and that we are all one you know uh, talking to a lot of spiritual teachers and gurus and luminaries over the years, you know, I've, I've often heard that we are all one, you know, and, and I've thought about it and I might disregard it as like, well, I'm not one with that, you know, that being whatever is repelling me, you know, whatever group mm-hmm. or right. idea or whatever, you know, but it, but there there are implications that we are all interconnected as a
1: whole. Yes. And 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 we talk about
0: that a little in the book.
1: in, In the physics of it, what I described about light traveling, sort of it gives us a real concrete and grounded sense of what it means for something to be whole, because that path of that light over time and space is whole. It exists as a whole. It can't be divided into separate chunks and analyzed separately. When we look at our personal lives as sort of an analogy, using the physical world as an analogy for our personal experience, you're referring to, you know, how I do think of the world as a reflection of myself. And if I'm experiencing something that I don't like, if, and this is this is something I got from my upbringing in the um, yoga tradition and Eastern philosophy, Eastern traditions, that that thing I don't like is actually a reflection of something in me. And so I notice, like, for instance, as a parent, parenting for me is a really big part of my spiritual path because it helps me really see myself on a daily basis in my reactions. And when I'm feeling um, upset with my daughter, it's a great opportunity for me to look at and say, well, what am I actually upset about, my, about myself? Like if I'm, if I'm frustrated with her for watching TV when she's supposed to be doing homework, what are the feelings in me that are happening? Am I, am I worried that she's going to grow up with this TV habit and she's not going to do homework and she's going to be a dropout? Uh, what, are the, what are the actual things that are going through my mind and my heart that are filtering the information that lead to this experience that I'm having? And we can I, I've learned a lot from my daughter about how to open those filters a bit to see it through her eyes. And remember, it comes back to the idea of being 11 again. Like, remember what it's like to be 11 and be able to let some of that back into my life, personally.
0: Right. It's such a great lesson. There And, then, and there were so many ideas like that that have popped up in, in the course of me reading the book that are really profound. And there's one thing I really wanted to ask you about, because this is a, a term that I've always hated, is the term of Everything happens for a reason, and you specifically mm-hmm. say that clearly. Not every event is purposeful, or de- you know, decided by some outside power source. And I read that, I'm like, yes, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that because I always, I, I know people would say that to make you feel better, like there's a reason for this horrible thing. Everything happens for a reason. And I'm like, no, everything doesn't, <laughs> and I, yeah, I like I think that it's... you mentioned that in the book.
1: One of the things that I've learned a lot over the past years uh, is about my own privilege and the different ways in which my view is, is singular for me. And it's not the same experience that everyone else has. And there are, there are ways in which synchronicities are not possible for people who have constraints, whether it's due to systemic racism or other, other forms of, of um, obstruction that are not in their control or whether it's an illness that comes into our lives. Um, I don't think it's useful to, try and ask you know why well, what is my role in this because it 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 makes us feel sometimes like we're we're at fault if only we could do it differently we would not experience this so that's not the way in which i think the universe is a reflection of us i think that we are immersed in a in a, a series of experiences which challenge us and the the purpose of life is is more about challenging us than about making our lives comfortable so when we see it through that lens, you know, okay, what are the challenges that are specific to me? What are the challenges that I was given in this lifetime? And how do I relate to those? How do What do they tell me about myself? It's not that they, like, when something goes wrong for me, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It teaches me something. It's a reflection for me. How do I respond to this? So anything that happens to us, we can look at our inside and, and look at how we respond and learn from that. But it doesn't mean that we are at fault for that or that we somehow could have made it different if we only changed our thoughts or our feelings. I think that's a very important.
0: Right. It is very important. And I was just thinking how that notion or or concept might trigger some people with the belief of that there's an all encompassing superior being that is making decisions and affecting outcomes of, of something you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, and I, right, I don't agree with know. that. I think if, if anything that we are, our, our super consciousness or our soul, or I don't even know the word for it is the decider. It's the one that's going about making these choices. And much like I, I, I've, I take, you know, we've got this notion of life as a dream that comes up in some of our movies, like the matrix and other movies, life is like a dream. And actually this comes from, uh, earlier from the the aboriginals in Australia, are, among other natives, uh, have had this notion for thousands of years that life is the dreaming and that time is not linear and traveling to the future, but maybe circular or spiral or ever-present. And... Uh... So let's just sit it with that for a minute. It brings up some interesting theories,
0: <laughs> yeah. It it does. It's it's so it's so interesting. You can just kind of go down, go down the rabbit hole, I guess, like Neo did, you know, and and see what happens. But, I mean, I I've always liked the idea of if there is an all powerful source or or energy or anything like that, that it 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 exists in all of us, giving us that power and ability to. To be, quote, divine, you know, to make those kind of choices and decisions for ourselves rather than thinking we're at the mercy of some judgmental outside force or being making those kind of decisions.
1: Yeah, but that's and just that's why me. I just if,
0: want to preface if, that.
1: <laughs> that. That's why the filters are so useful, the idea of filters, because we can look at every situation um, as helping us understand ourselves and our filters better. And I see healing as the process of seeing our filters and then peeling them back one at a time. So we can get to what's really us. We can get to that white light after we peel away the red filter, the blue filter, the green filter, to find out who am I really and how do I want to express myself in this moment that's maybe more spacious than I was thinking I had access to. So I think that we can become more... um, Skillful and and make progress at how we let the, the world our life experiences teach us about ourselves and that's ultimately the goal of how the world is programmed to help us grow and heal and adapt
0: well I love also in the book how you talk about feelings and you know saying that feelings how we experience something and physically and emotionally feel it you know become the reality of of where, you know, where we are in that one moment, you know, feelings are facts, I guess, basically. And I like the explanation that, you know, the feelings we indulge are the ones felt by others and, and spread around. Like, you know, when someone mm-hmm. is angry, and they walk into a room, you you notice it, they don't have to say a word. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. you feel that, you know, so I guess then we start questioning, well, are they mad at me? Am I the cause of it? You mm-hmm. know, and then our insecurities make it worse and we kind of go down that spiral. That's a great so example that really of got filters me thinking right. As and well. they
1: create a spiral.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. And what, Have do you, you ever, what do you think if, about if, that
1: like your listeners can think about if they've ever been around a, a young adult or a child of theirs or that they argued with, or they came into a room and was angry with them for some reason. I find it so difficult to not have my own anger come in. Like when someone else is at that level and bringing in this, this intense, aggressive energy, I automatically do the same thing. And that's probably like mirror neurons, the mirror neurons that we've discovered over the past couple of decades. But it's, uh, I think that it's also reflected in the types of experiences that then Follow, And that's where, synchronicity, that's where synchronicity comes in, you know, reflecting the types of emotional choices we make. What do we decide to nurture or what do we decide to indulge?
0: Right. And if you think about it, if we could really harness this, like if we're all feeling that energy of, of emotion, you know, it could be anger or maybe it could be love, right? So instead of motivating an, an angry mob, you know, of people, we could motivate a, a loving mob of people.
1: Oh yeah. And this is some of the work honestly, this is some, some of the work that I do in in the trainings that I do is you know looking at we all have the ability to find flow in our lives. We all have the ability to be courage, courageous in our lives in certain areas. So if you're an artist and you find flow when you're alone at home doing your art or if you you're courageous when you're at the grocery store and somebody bumps into your kid and you're like don't bump into my kid, you know. But taking those skills of flow or courage and applying them in other places where you don't have those. So when it's about standing up for yourself in a meeting at work and you don't have the courage to do that, you can think about, you know, what it feels like to do that for someone else and then apply that same feeling for your own experience. And then that you're you're really changing the filters and you try it once and you try a different filter. Like maybe it's okay for me to speak really firmly here in this meeting. You do it once, it goes well, And then the next time it comes up, you've got a feeling for what that's like, and you see that it works.
0: Right. And with with filters as well, I I wanted to bring up fear and and the feeling of, of fear, and it's a big factor in a lot of people's lives. I mean, so many people make choices based on fear. They keep themselves from true happiness because of fear. And whatever filter that came through that produced that feeling of, oh, I can't do this, or whatever that fear may be. And you say fear is malleable, that we can mold it and change it. And I just wanted you to elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think we can ever be free of fear. Fear is uh, is something that we can – We it turns into many things. It can turn into anger. It can turn into um, – sadness. Um, but ultimately, we choose in any given moment, whether we go with our fear. And I think this is maybe the, the fundamental question that we are faced with in this lifetime. In each situation, everything boils down to, are we going with the fearful response that we have, or are we having a courage and strength and maybe some faith that maybe the surface level interpretation isn't correct. Like to me, that's, that's what faith is. It's not um, believing in something supernatural, but believing like long enough that maybe the situation isn't as bad as I think, or maybe there's something that I can do that's different from what my filters are telling me to do. Cause my filters often tell me to react immediately to solve the problem. And that's the aggressive nature of, of our reactions. And when we can pull that back, not react to that fear, um, we find that uh, maybe something else emerges that we couldn't have foreseen, and then we we grow a little bit more space in our reaction time so that we become more able to hear people deeply without fixing their problems or without um, jumping in and criticizing them
0: right That's a great way to reframe that and and really, it comes down to our insecurities, right where Where that fear comes up, how how it's filtered through. And, and I'm, I'm talking about, yeah. you know, kind of personal, emotional fear, not, not like, you know, fear of heights or fear of sharks, you know, <laughs> like, right. like, that, I mean, I have. Right. Well, this is, this is so important. Fear of sharks.
1: Um, some people deal with fear but that's that's rational. very real if you live in a country where you're threatened or a place in the world in this country where you're threatened on a daily basis if you live with systemic racism and you're a person of color that gets pulled over by a police officer there's a reason why you would have some fear the question that i'm asking is like you said it's really about the emotional experience and how do we navigate that personally not that there's a right way to do it but that um noticing when it comes up and what it feels like and how we can navigate from it's like rooms in a house that are inside of us, how we navigate from the immediate room that we go into when we're in, when we're threatened. Can we find a way to a different room in the house through consciously certain tools like becoming more compassionate with ourselves or talking to ourselves kindly or um, questioning our beliefs? Like, is it really true that this is definitely going to happen or is it possible that something else will happen that's not so threatening? And if we do that once and we get to a different room where we're feeling more at ease and more patient and we have more control over what we can do and say, maybe we can do that again next time. And we build pathways from the fearful response to a loving or a compassionate or a patient response.
0: Right. And we have that choice to do that.
1: Yes. To, yeah.
0: You know, ma- make that a different experience. You know, Yeah. And than I, I definitely don't think in- it's about
1: not about doing things the right way or the same way for everybody everyone has their own decisions about how they live it's about having choice
0: right right having that choice i love that and i wanted to mention too a a little bit about vulnerability because you talk about that in the book and that how it can help us heal you know even though we try so hard to avoid it and i think maybe you know as we're talking about fear like we're afraid to look vulnerable when, when really that can make us stronger rather than weaker. So it, it's, yeah. it's something to explore.
1: Brene Brown says vulnerability is not weakness; it's our most accurate measure of courage. And I really agree with that. And I, I want to add to that that vulnerability. Some people like think that that means they're going to cry at work or cry in front of their people they know or or um, let let out their deepest insecurities or embarrassments to people that. You know, don't really haven't created a safety net for them to do that. And that's not what it is. It's really about feeling your vulnerability, not necessarily expressing it. And when you can access your vulnerability and feel it, for me, I've found that that influences the way that I talk, the way that I um, choose to act. I don't necess- people don't necessarily know what I'm going through, but they can feel that I'm that I'm present with my emotions, that I'm not cutting off those emotions. It makes me more present.
0: Right, it's it's something to think about. And your book's given me so many great things to think about. I, I spent a lot of time with it last night, uh, reading it over. And we just have a few minutes left. It's been really fun to talk with you, and I really appreciate you giving me all this time today and talking with uh, the Unity Radio listeners, too. So we've got a couple of minutes, but I just wanted you to talk a little bit about the Synchronicity Institute that we mentioned a little bit earlier and what you're doing with that and some of the things you're working on.
1: Thank you. Uh, We are... The book is the latest thing. We're also working on a mobile app to help you track synchronicity. So that's kind of interesting. And uh, I have a workshop that I'm leading coming up in the next couple months. And it's ongoing uh, that we, we go into these these practices and how do you uh, notice grief that might be in the way of getting into flow. And I, I really look at flow from a what I see as a receptive perspective, not how you're going to go out there and conquer the world, but how are you going to notice the things that, the filters and the patterns that get in your way. So I I lead some workshops uh, helping with that and um, helping get connected to what's holding us back and then releasing that. We also have a video course called the Living in Flow course and some videos that are, you know, educational and interesting to watch uh, on these topics. And then, of course, I do research. So I've I've got a paper that came out in uh, December uh, called Space Time Paths as a Whole. It's available on Quantum Reports Journal and another one that hopefully will come out in the next six months or so.
0: Well, I think all of this is interesting, and hopefully it sparked some interest in some of our listeners, and that they check it out. And is the is the course starting soon? Can people sign up now?
1: Yeah, the video course is available all the time at livinginflowcourse.com, and then the workshop uh, is is monthly, and it's just a standalone once one-time monthly workshop, and that's all at uh, synchronicityinstitute.com.
0: Well, I urge you to check it out, synchronicityinstitute.com, and also go to Sky's website here for the book, leaptowholenessbook.com, and give it a read. This this is a really great read. I think that you're going to enjoy it. Thank you oh, so Diane much, Diane. Ray, thanks for spending. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Sky. I've really enjoyed this conversation today. It's really got me, me too. thinking. And thank you all for joining us here on Unity Online Radio.